2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 7 is where we're going to land today. You love your Bibles? If you don't have your Bible, it'll be up on the screen behind me. And this is what it says, Paul writing to the church at Corinth. He says this, We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by, every shot affliction? affliction. Come on, every shot affliction? affliction? And it's not talking about the clothing brand, all right? Their abundant joy, every shot joy? joy? And their extreme poverty, every shot poverty? poverty. Overflowed into wealth of one more, every shot generosity? So four words here, affliction, joy, poverty, generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped, instead they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, he should also complete among you this act of Grace. This morning, as we continue on in our series, The Violence of Good, I want to speak to you from the subject, it's a good burn. <laughs> it's a good burn. As we, look at the culti- as we look at cultivating a generous spirit in our lives and in our church, as we look forward to this year's motion offering. And before we pray, I want to qualify this message, and then we're going to pray. If you are a guest with us today, I want to let you know that you're entering into a service that is, um, uh, that is a service that we have uh, every single year around here, multiple, multiple services. Uh, the Well has been a church for six years now, and we have a thing that we do every single year. It takes place next weekend called our motion offering. Many of us have been looking forward to this and, and are excited about it. I know as a guest, you can come in, you can go, oh, see, there they go. the church is talking about money, always talking about money. Uh, today we are, actually. Um, just a heads up, but it's not something that we talk about all the time. You're, inter- you're jumping onto a train today that's been moving for a while now. And so I think it's, it can be really easy just to step in for the first time and go, oh, this is what they're always talking about. No, actually we're not. We actually have four other weeks in this series that have nothing to do with this. So I'd urge you to go back and listen to our podcast. But this is the moment that we look forward to. We get amped up to our motion offering next weekend. When you walked in, you should have been handed one of these. This is our motion 2019 brochure. This has many of the initiatives that we're going to tackle this year through that. So I would love for you to just take a moment and uh, check this out. Pay attention to the message, obviously, but know that it's in your hands. I'll be talking about that in just a few in just a few moments. So here's my ask if you are a guest with us today or you've just been here for a few weeks. Just hear the heart of this message. I'm not asking you to engage in this moment. That's by no means our heart. For many of us in this room, uh, we will be engaging in this moment as this is a place that we call home. Um, but for those of you who are guests or here, or you're kind of kicking the tires on faith, kicking the tires on the well, I just ask that you sit back, that you listen to the message, you hear our hearts. And then I want to encourage you, uh, go to our grow class right after the service. There's no need to sign up. You can just show up. We've got uh, lunch provided, coffee, all that stuff, um, and childcare. And you can hear the heart behind everything that we're doing here. And that would be my ask of you this weekend. For the rest of us that call the well home, this is our moment to really trust God, engage in what he's leading us into Come on, somebody, so that we can say yes to everything that he has in front of us. All right? And so that's what we're believing for this weekend. So with that, let's pray, and we're going to get into this. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that it's alive, it's active, it's powerful. It has the ability to transform us from the inside out. God, you never ask us for behavior modification before heart change. And so I pray today that there would be heart change in our lives, that in and through heart change, our lives would change, both internally and externally. God, I thank you for this beautiful church that is now literally in multiple places across the valley. I thank you that this morning, your name is being lifted high here in Sandy, being lifted high downtown, and that in all of it, lives are being changed. And so I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your grace upon this place this morning. 
Speak to us now. We are listening. Our ears are open. Our hearts are postured to receive your word this morning. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, and everybody shouted. <coughs> All right, show of hands. How many of you would consider yourselves gym people? Gym people. Ah, this is why it's the 1130 service. See, 10 a.m., they were all geeked, right? They're the early risers. I was like, gym people, and everybody's like, double hands, yay! Right? Techno came on, spandex was out, like all the, <laughs> they were the gym people. A few of us are gym people. Okay, maybe you don't consider yourself a gym, people, a gym person, but you'd say, I go to the gym occasionally. A few, a few hands. How many of you say, I hate the gym, There's, it's just pointless, who cares, let's eat a donut? Perfect. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Come on. You're my people. <laughs> How many of you agree with me? Gym people, they have a thing about them. Like there, there's, there's literally, a, there's a connotation, maybe a picture that comes, even when I say gym people, that's why you're like reluctant to say like, I'm not a gym person. Like I'm not one of those guys, right? I, I think that there's a certain, that there's a certain lack of, for lack of a better term, there's an aura about a gym person, right? Uh, especially CrossFit people. They're in a whole different cultish place. Okay, they're, they're, ne they're next level. But have you noticed there's just different kinds of gym people when you go into the gym? Um, there, there's, there's the people that are working out because they know that they have to work out. Then there's the people who are working out because they love to work out. And then there's the people who just stand there and stare in the mirror and aren't doing any working out. <laughs> whatsoever at all. And I don't know if you would agree with me, but I actually think that gym mirrors are different. I think that they... I don't program, build them, do whatever they need to do to them. They make them look different because I swear I look different in a gym mirror than I do in my home mirror. Right? Gym mirror is like, oh yeah, baby, you're good. Home mirror is like, no. <laughs> right? Gym mirror, I can see a tricep, but I'm actually not that guy. I don't have like a big, like I'm not a big upper bodied guy. So I'm the guy who gets proud of his calves. Okay? Because... Come on, somebody. I'm always exercising my calves because I stand on them all day long. So for me, they make me feel good. Everybody else, they're in the mirror and they're like checking everything out. And I'm just in the mirror going like this. <laughs> You're so strong. <laughs> the gym's a weird place for me, so I refuse to go to the gym. And so instead of the, 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 the Globo gym, we started doing CrossFit. And CrossFit, it's its own kind of crazy. Uh, people are nuts there. Um, and they have a whole different way of looking at fitness, which is pretty much they love pain in general. But I can get down with that. But there is a place that I will never venture into, and that is spin class. Because that's just straight evil. Um, that, that, that's evil right there. And so I walked into a gym class, uh, or a spin class. Erica duped me into it, actually. She said, this will be fun, babe. It'll, it'll be like, it'll be couples bonding. And I was like, no, that's going to cause divorce next time. And so... <laughs> So we walked into this, this spin class, and I did this with, and, and I don't know if you've ever been into a spin class before, but uh, the leader, the lady leader, um, or guy leader, depending on, depending on the class, but this particular uh, time, it was a lady leader, and she was doing her thing, and she got on that bike, and the minute she got on that bike, we went from zero to a million miles an hour. There was no, like, kind of wading into it, right? And I thought that was going to be like, give me a couple spins to get loose here, right, and everything like that, but no, uh-uh, because she has a militant army of believers with her. That stare in judgment as you go slow and they go fast, right? And so she's like, you guys ready? That's just a nice, sweet voice. You guys ready to go? And I was like, yeah, ready to go. And then she's like, go, right? And, <laughs> and, and, every, and, 
And it was, it was in that moment I watched all these people go from nice, sweet people to like, just, I was like, what is happening right now? Like, and so I was freaking out. And so she's yelling and she's screaming at us and I'm dying and I'm bouncing on this bike up and down. And she's like, doesn't this feel good? And I was like, no, my bottom really hurts right now. The seat is medieval torture device. I don't know what is going on. And then she yelled something. Here we are just a few minutes into the class and she yelled something that I'll never forget. And, and she, was, she was spinning and everybody's yelling and the music is going, right? And it's like, a it's like it's just going. And everybody's vibing and yelling at each other, come on, come on. And then she yells out of nowhere. She's like, it's a good burn. And I stopped. And I was like, nope, but I'm about to give you a good protest. <laughs> Absolutely not. This is not a good burn. That, that statement stuck with me. It stuck with me for a long time. So was the awful experience of spin class. It's a good burn. It's a juxtaposition. It's this negative positive. And it's right here in 2 Corinthians that Paul gives this line of sight on this issue of generosity, to which he's saying to us, it's a good burn. Because at the end of the day, generosity for many of us is difficult. But I don't know if you're like me, have you ever had the moment where you've struggled with generosity and then you're generous and you feel so good about yourself after you're generous? But then you're like, oh, that kind of hurts. It doesn't feel the best. That's what generosity is. It's a, it's a good Burn, and it's right here that Paul offers us this juxtaposition that in many ways makes no sense. He uses this when he shows us what the Corinthians, where the Macedonian churches were going through, when he's like, listen, they were in poverty, they were afflicted, life was not going the way that they wanted it to, and in their, in their grand affliction and poverty, but with joy, it overflowed in generosity. Think about that equation. Affliction. Pain, poverty, and joy equal generosity. And I've always found that interesting because for many of us, that would equal something completely different. To think about being generous in that type of a circumstance and situation would be hard. It's a juxtaposition. It makes no sense. But yet isn't the gospel the same? Grace to sinners the first shall be last, the last shall be first. Everything that we have thus far talked about in this series, loving your neighbor, doing good to those who hate you, the title itself, the violence of good. Juxtaposition. And Paul is offering to, one, to us one of the most fundamental truths when it comes to living with a generous spirit. It's a good burn. The only difference is, is I'm not going to yell it at you this morning in spandex. <laughs> yes. And my mom-in-law said amen, so... In other words, at times it hurts, it goes counter to how we want to live, but in the end, when we live generous lives, we are stepping into an act of grace that not only have we been called to, but we've been told to excel in. It's interesting that in, the, in Paul's writing, we would hear that we are called to excel in the grace of generosity. And so today's a really simple message, yet probably one of the hardest ones for us to grasp in practice. You see, generosity is one of the most violent acts of good that we will ever participate in. Why? Because generosity tends to go against the very nature of who we are. How many of you would agree with me this morning? We like the idea of generosity, don't we? We like the idea of being generous people, but our nature, didn't they call us hunter-gatherers? 
They didn't call us hunter genocers. <laughs> it's not a word, just so you know. We're hunter-gatherers. Our, our very nature is to hold and to hold on and to store up and, and to pay attention to all kinds of different things that are going on. So when it comes to generosity, many times it comes out of left field for us, and it's frustrating. It's hard. For many of us, when it comes to the issue of generosity, especially within the context of church, we have a very cynical and jaded view on it because we have church hurt. We have church hurt. And I get that. There's been places and spaces that we've lived in and gone to where stewardship hasn't been the best and, and the ideologies haven't been the best and there hasn't been leadership that's lived uh, with, with integrity and character when it's come to this issue. And that's why I invite you, especially as a guest, come to our grow course so that you can hear the heart behind our church and the practices behind our church. Because at the end of the day, here's the deal. No matter where we are coming from when it comes to the issue of generosity, we've still been called to be generous. Come on, can we get an amen in church this morning? We've been called to be generous people. And yes, I understand that it's more than just our finances. For sure, 100%. We've been called to be generous with our gestures. We've been called to be generous with our attitudes. We've been called to be generous with our time and our talent, so on and so forth. But how many of you know that we've also been called to be generous with our resource? Because things cost money at the end of the day. And if we're going to do some of the things that we are called to do as a church, then we're going to have to understand that it's going to take some behaviors. It's going to take a generous spirit coming from every single one of us to make that happen. So what I want to do today is I want to look at three ways that we cultivate a spirit of generosity in our lives. Because I don't know about you, but I want to be a generous person. Does anybody want to be a generous person in church this morning? Come on. So three ways that we cultivate generosity in our lives. I need your help. Every shot. Number one. First one is this, is that we need to understand that generosity is about the disposition of our hearts, not the circumstance of our lives. We have to understand that generosity is about the disposition of our hearts, not the circumstance of our lives. And that's why Paul writes, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. <clears throat> During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity. I find that very interesting, that the Macedonian churches were able to engage in generosity even though their circumstance did not dictate it. I don't know if you've ever been on a missions trip before, but you meet people who are in the most destitute of situations. I hear it from people all the time when they come back. When they, last year when our team came back from building the house in Cofredia, Mexico, when the girls came back from India just a few weeks ago, I hear the same thing over and over again. I cannot believe people who have nothing literally give of themselves everything. Why? Because they don't look at generosity through circumstance. They look at generosity as a disposition of their life in their, in their heart. Have you ever played the lottery game? No one's gonna raise their hand. They're like, I don't know. Not the actual game, not did you go buy a ticket, but have you ever played the lottery game before? It goes like this. If I won the lottery, then... Okay, come on, show of hands. Let's just therapeutic moment. How many of you have played that game before? Most of you have done it at dinner. The rest of you are liars. So <laughs> we play it at dinner. We've played it in our house before. If I won the lottery, then I've got friends. I asked somebody this the other day, what would you do if you won the lottery? And they go, the first thing that I would do if I won the lottery, super A-type personality, I would get a financial advisor. That's dumb. <laughs> like, why can't you be like my son? I asked my son, what would you do if you won the lottery? He's like, dad, I'd buy Legos. <laughs> I was like... I pray you never win the lottery. 
<laughs> we put it like, if, if I won the lottery, then I would do this. What we're saying is that everything that we would do is circumstantial. Because inherently inside of us, we believe that our ability to be generous, our ability to do certain things, comes from the circumstance of having plenty rather than the disposition of just being where we are at and trusting God with what we can do. Very different reality. If you're needing grand amounts of anything to be generous, I would question whether we are generous. Eric and I, when we first got married, we were, uh, we didn't have much. Like I, and, I, and I sometimes miss those days. But we set out from the moment we were married, we were going to be a generous couple. We we're going to tithe, we we're going to give, we we're going to do everything we possibly can. When we first got married, we had hand-me-down everything. Any married couples remember those days? Hand-me-down everything. I had a TV that was handed down. It weighed 925 pounds. It broke people's spirit when they helped me carry it. <laughs> and their backs. <laughs> We had a couch that was given to us from, our, from, our, uh, from Erica's uh, parents, so my, uh, my, my mom and dad-in-law, they gave us this couch that I swear to this day, they hate me for saying this, but I think that every animal possible had peed on it, <laughs> including multiple humans. So I'm just, just putting it out there. It, was the, it, had, a, it had a divot in, in, the, in the pillow, right? So like when Erica and I were like cuddling, if we got too close to the divot, we would like roll into it. Right, which was okay because we were a newly married couple, so I was game. And so it was, <laughs> I was like, let's sit closer to this cushion. She's like, you cheeky. Um, so we didn't have much, but we decided in that moment, even with what we didn't have, we were going to be generous. And through the years, zeros have been added, so what? At the end of the day, we've decided that we are going to have a disposition of generosity we're going to live from a disposition of generosity in our hearts because of what we believe rather than circumstantial generosity. And this is why I think many people get frustrated because here's, I'm glass half full. I think most of us in here want to be generous people. I think most of us in here, we want to be generous people. We want to do the best that we can. We just believe that we can't because we think that it has to do with amount, that it has to do with Size. But here's the thing that I want us to understand. Generosity is never about the size of the gift. It's about the size of the giver. It's about the size of the giver. Let me prove it to you. Mark chapter 12, 41 through 44. It says this, sitting across from the temple treasury, he, being Jesus, watched the crowd as they dropped money into the treasury. How would you like to be in that church service? Jesus just watching what you give. <laughs> Sitting in the corner with a cappuccino, just eyeing you. Hey, Peter, watch this. <laughs> That's not what they were doing. They were just watching. Watch this. Many rich people were putting in large sums. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. Summoning his disciples... Now, how many of you would agree with me, and we've kind of, if you've been around here, we've, we've found the judgmental nature of the disciples, I think. It's interesting to see. And I wonder what the disciples were thinking in that moment when Jesus invites them. He's like, guys, come here. And I could just picture them coming over to him, and they're like, oh, Jesus is going to call this widow out. 
look at all these grand people with large sums of money. Look at what they're doing. They're dropping all this. He's going to call this widow out. Watch what happens. He gets his disciples around him. And he goes, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all others. For they gave out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now, is Jesus advocating for reckless living and reckless giving? No, absolutely not. What he's driving at is that this widow had a generous spirit about her. Generosity was the disposition of her heart compared to those who had a lot more, could do a lot more, yet they did not. What he was showing is that a spirit of generosity will give from a place, will do from a place of their heart posture rather than their circumstance. Generosity is never about the size of the gift. It's about the size of the giver. We look at our circumstance all the time, which we do, don't we? We look, we look at what's going on in the world, and I understand that. We look at what's going on in our lives. I talk to young couples all the time who are wanting to get married, and they're always looking, they're always asking, when's the right time to get married? <laughs> like, is it when you have all of your ducks in a row? And I'm like, you can't get ducks in a row. They waddle out of a row. <laughs> That's just my own observation. <laughs> When you have your ducks in a row, when you've got your 401k plan, when you've got all of your college done, when you know this and where you're going to be doing this job and, and, and when you get to this place and so on and so on. And so they wait for the perfect circumstance. Why? Because many of us don't want to have to live on faith. Because if every circumstance is perfect, then potentially everything could work out. Everything will Work out. It'll be good if everything is, is good because we've lost our ability to have to fight through things. So Ecclesiastes, the writer of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11, verse 4, writes this. One who watches the wind will not sow, and the one who looks at the clouds will not reap. In other words, if we're always looking at our circumstances, we will never engage in action. What was the last time you saw a farmer walk out on his front porch and go... Oh, there's clouds today. Nope. Not putting down a seed. When was the last time you watched a farmer when, there's har when the harvest is ready? They go out and they go, nope, clouds in the sky. I can't, I can't reap today. No, a farmer walks out there. No matter what's happening, rain or shine, they're not looking for 76 degrees and a light southerly breeze. They say, no matter what, I'm going to sow. No matter what, I'm going to reap. Why? Because they have a different, different disposition. They understand that forward motion is based not on perfect circumstance, but on who they are. And generosity is not built on circumstance. It's built out of the, the posture of our hearts. Am I talking to anybody this morning? So the first thing that we need to understand is that generosity is about the disposition of our hearts, not the circumstance of our lives. Number two, shout number two. We have to understand that generosity comes from the overflow of belief, not the regiment of behavior. Matthew 26, 6 through 16. This is probably, hands down, one of my favorite portions of scripture in the entire Bible. Yes, the entirety of the Bible. And this is why. While Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, so already we're set up, understanding that Jesus was at a house that no one else would go to. A woman approached him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. She poured it on his head and as, as he was reclining at the table. Let's just pause there for a moment. 
That is the weirdest dinner party you will ever go to. <laughs> I, so, I feel like we read the Bible sometimes and we glance over it because it's in the Bible. But guys, I pause here every single time and I get a mental picture of this, this playing out. Because, I mean, check this out. Jesus is reclining at a table. So we've, we've discovered through messages here that when he's reclining, he's not sitting properly at a table. He's laying down. This is how they would recline at the table. And he's eating tapas, like non-bread, some olives with oregano, right? Some cracked pepper and Parmesan. It was a beautiful spread. With Simon, at the, le Simon the leper sitting at the other end, reaching across to grab food with his leprous hands. I'm just right here. And he's chilling. And then Miss Susie comes out of the corner of the room with perfume and dumps it on his head. <laughs> so I think many of us get this picture like she came in with like a little Nordstrom bottle and stood there. <laughs> That's not how it worked. How it worked was she came in and she dumped a jar of perfume over his head. Now, what did Jesus do? I can't imagine. Because if it's me, and lady comes from the corner on my six, and I don't know about it. And she dumps perfume on my head, which was oil-based, so it lathers me. We're going to fight. <laughs> We're going to throw down right there. <laughs> Game over. Lose my salvation. <laughs> That's just two verses of the story. It gets better. Verse 8, when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, as they should be. She just assaulted the Savior of the world with perfume. So you would think the disciples were fraud, like they, they were gonna, they're gonna come to project Jesus, and this is what they ask. Why this waste? No one asks Jesus if he's okay. That would be my first inclination, right? Like to walk over to Jesus, like, hey, bro, are you all right? Like, did you get any in your eye? If I'm Peter, I wanna like double check, like, it's actually a pretty good smell on you. <laughs> Why this waste, they asked. This might have been sold for a great deal and given to the poor. Oh, such nobility. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, this is what's crazy. Now, I don't know if there's like breaks in the story that we don't get right here in scripture, but at least the way that we see the story play out is he just stands up. He gets up from this moment, soaking in perfume, right? Smelling. Like, who knows what? And it's just wafting in the air. And everybody's, and he's just chilling. And he's going to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the disciples now. And he says this, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you. But you do not always have me. What was he driving at? There's a very big difference between generosity that comes from belief and a behavior that's birthed in regiment. When I'm generous out of religious duty, I'm asking the questions like the disciples were. 
when I'm generous out of a spirit of faith and belief, I am extravagant with my generosity simply for Jesus. And that's the, that's the two different parties that we see right here in Scripture. And I think it's one of the most beautiful moments. And watch what he says about her. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. By pouring this perfume on my body, she has prepared me for burial. And truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. See, many of us can get wrapped up in the nobility thing. If the church would just give all of its money and help the poor, just keep on doing that for how long? How long? And we come with these noble mindsets and these ideas, failing to realize that the very thing that Jesus said he would build was his church. And when the church has what it needs, when it's full, when it's ready to do what it's called to do, we actually get to step out and we could help for long periods of time because people are living in generosity by way of belief, not dutiful regimen. Because I've discovered when we do things that are religious and dutiful regiment, we stop doing them as quick as we started doing them. Right? I hate the dishes. Come on, can I get a witness in church today? Thank you. A amen. Thank you. I love that man. Okay, show of hands. How many of you hate dishes like me? Okay, there we go. See? Uh-huh. We don't like to work out and we hate the dishes. I see a theme. Um, I hate the dishes. And Erica will ask me to do the dishes and I'll get in. And many of you like me and I get into there and I'm just like, dishes. Just dishes. I can't believe this. Don't these people know how to clean off their dishes? None of these dishes are mine. I scrub. Why do we scrub dishes before they go into the dishwasher? It is in fact a dishwasher. <laughs> that is in the Bible in the Greek. Thou shalt not wash dishes before dishes are washed. <laughs> And so I'm over there huffing and puffing and everything like that, and I get done with the dishes, and I go, and I sit down next to my wife like a good puppy. And I'm like, I did the dishes. Can we cuddle? No. Why not? And then this statement comes across. I want you to want to do the dishes. And I'll turn to her in a moment of clarity. I will never want to want to do the dishes. So we are at an impasse. <laughs> what is she saying? She wants my desire, right, to do something, to be out of my love and care for her, not a dutiful regiment of relationship religion. <laughs> <laughs> and so many of us engage in our walk with God the same way, especially when it comes to generosity. That's why Paul would say, God loves a what? Cheerful giver. <laughs> I get to be generous today. Cheerful. Some of us aren't cheerful like that. That was psychotic cheerful, but all the same. <laughs> cheerful giver. I wonder if we are religious adherence in our generosity 
Or do we give and do and are generous because of who we believe in and what he's done for us? And my only response is to be generous. That's who I want to be. Number three, every shot number three. We have to understand that generosity needs sacrificial hands, not idealistic thoughts. We have to understand that generosity needs sacrificial hands, not idealistic thoughts. The, the disciples asked this question, why this waste? This might have been, there's the key word. Everybody shout might. might. Come on, everybody shout might. might. This might have been sold for a great deal and given to the poor. Have you ever sat on the couch and came up with an invention before? I do it all the time. I, I go sit on the couch and I'm like, babe, this would be such a good idea. And then she'll say this. She'll be like, well, then go do it. And I'm like, nah. <laughs> then I'll say, babe, this would be such a good idea. She's like, that is a great idea. Go do it. I've got an idea for an app. Go do it. I don't know how many times I've told her I have an idea. I have a thought. I have this cool thing that I want to do. Over our 14 plus years of marriage, there's been so many times where I said, we should do this. It would be cool to do this. Wouldn't it be amazing to do this? But what I've come to realize is that most of the things that I've dreamed up and thought about, crazy ideas and plans, have never come to fruition. Why? Because they're idealistic thoughts at best. Because so many times the things that we want to do, the good that we want to do in the world, the violence of good that we want to participate in requires this little thing called action. <laughs> it requires us to get up and, and, and make a maneuver, to do something with it, to make it happen. You know, last year we set out as a church in our motion offering last year. And if you look in that brochure, you'll see something amazing is that last year we gave as a church in motion offering on that weekend, 95,000 plus dollars. Come on, somebody. That's awesome. It's fantastic. Why? Because we had an idea. We had an idea to get Redemption House off the ground. We had the idea to build homes in Cofordia, Mexico. We had the idea to get our campus downtown up and running. But here's the thing. We did it. Last weekend alone, we launched downtown campus with 472 people at downtown campus. And this weekend, Pastor Justin's right here. He just came from leading worship downtown, and there was people there this morning, <laughs> which is good news. We did it. And you can see right here of the 95 that we had to work off of. Mind you, last year we had a million-dollar vision that we threw out there, and it still is that. But we took $75,000 of that and we made everything that we made happen downtown, everything that you've seen on social media and on the screens, we did that with $75,000. That was hard. Yeah. We knocked a few people off. I'm just playing. <laughs> we stuck $10,000 towards Redemption House for some of the legal stuff that we've had to engage in, bringing Seth on staff to oversee that. And then we directed $10,000 of that towards our dwellings build. This year, we have another idea to keep going. 
The vision doesn't change. The question is, is will we be sacrificial or will these just be idealistic thoughts of the well? This is not my vision, this is our vision. This is not Jason's pet projects, this is what the well is engaging in. This year for Redemption House, <coughs> we're going hard to get this up and running. And I'm not saying that idealistically, here's what has happened. In just a few weeks that we've been talking about this and even before our motion offering next weekend, we've had a family step up who is donating a house for the use of Redemption House. Come on, somebody, that is something to praise God about. So what does that mean? It means simply that now the finance that is raised in this year's motion offering enables us to move directly towards programming and staffing and all of our legal stuff and getting it off the ground and waiting because we now don't have to take finance for a house. We can put it into the guts of the thing. And this year we can get women out of sex trafficking into a house doing what it is that we're called to do as a church. What does it take? Sacrifice. Why? Because the family stepped back and they said, we can do something. We can do something. So they gave a house. Now, not all of us can give a house. Does that make them better than somebody else? No, not at all. And we've had that conversation. Because at the end of the day, no matter where we're at in our ability, the practical way to be generous, generous, our generosity paves the way. Did you know if all of us did something, we could get everything done? <laughs> it doesn't need to rise and fall on just a few people. So Redemption House, this year, we wanna see this, not, not just like another step forward, doors open, lives being redeemed. My prayer is this year that we can get four women straight into that thing as soon as we open up. Come on, somebody. Second thing that we're doing is our dwellings build. Once again, last year and the year before, <coughs> I believe it's three years now. Is it three years or two? Three years, yeah. So this will be the third year. Previous years, we've done one house in Cofradia, Mexico. This year, we're doing two. This year, we're doing two. Next year, I want to do three. Next year, I want to do four. The year after that, I want to do five. I want to build a small city. I think that would be kind of fun. I want to build an orphanage and a, and a hospital and whatever else we need to do in order to help people in areas that don't have it. They're like, that's crazy, Jason. Uh -huh. It's a vision, but it requires sacrifice. And if we sacrifice, we can do it. We can do it. The ladies got back from uh, India just a few weeks ago. When they got back, they were, they were, uh, their spirits were lifted high, but they were also devastated at the same time. Watching what they were watching and seeing what they were seeing and being able to talk and, and work with these women who are being rescued out of slavery right there in India. The crazy thing is, is that they came back and I heard the same thing from each of them. It was just a double down on why we need to get Redemption House operating. Because here's the deal. One of the biggest issues that they're facing there in India is this transitional housing. And, it's, and it's, it's what's causing people to just go back into the trade. So it doubled down the issue here, but then it brought something else into purview. What if Redemption House is something that we can help make happen in another country? <laughs> wow. 
As we start stepping back and looking at this thing, I'm like, my goodness, like the dollar signs just go up. But there's so much resource in the kingdom of God. There's so much resource in this church. What if we could be the church that says, not can we, but why not? <laughs> what if we could be the church that said, yep, not a problem. We can do that. We can make that happen. And so we're gonna be partnering with Rahab's Rope, first financially as a church, and then working with them in these different moments that we know that are gonna be coming our way as we've built a very beautiful relationship with them. The fourth thing that we're focusing on is continuing to strengthen downtown. How many of you know babies cost money? Man, they're expensive, <laughs> right? We wanna make sure that downtown campus can thrive. We wanna make sure that it has everything that it needs to be everything that it's supposed to be working in that side of the valley. And as that continues to grow strength and the well as a whole continues to grow strength, that it positions us for our third campus and our fourth campus and our fifth campus and our 25th hundred campus. I don't know. <laughs> because I think that there's cities that would benefit from having a well that they could drink from in their neighborhood. And so we want to strengthen downtown. And then right here in Sandy, we want to make sure that Sandy can develop. As you can see, both of our services, even with the launch of downtown, both of our services are, are full this morning here in Sandy. We've got an overflowing kids ministry. We've got space that needs to get built out here. We've got a lot of stuff that needs to happen here in order to strengthen the things, the ministry that's happening here, the care that's happening here, the staffing that needs to take place here. All of that, as we set out a $300,000 goal, we know it costs a lot more than that, but we're kind of taking this in baby steps right now. But hey, let's just blow the 300,000 out of the water. Let's just do that next weekend and continue to move on. I don't know what, what this is gonna look like this year. And I don't even have necessarily this place where I'll be disappointed, but here's what I'm asking. I'm wondering if we could be sacrificial this year. And I wanna close with this reality. Why is sacrifice, why are sacrificial hands better than idealistic thoughts? Idealistic thoughts never got anything done. Sacrificial hands changed the world. Jesus gets out of the grave. I'm ask everybody to stand in this moment. I heard this from a preacher the other day. I'm a speaker, so that you know this is not my thought, but I, I think it bears repeating, and I thought it was a beautiful illustration. Jesus gets out of the grave rises on the third day. The Bible tells us that he begins to reveal himself to his disciples, to other people. And in one interaction in revealing himself to his disciples, the disciples look at him and they're, they're stunned, just like you and I would be, in, in, in mass disbelief. There's no way this could be Jesus. There's no way that this is going down like this. He's actually doing what he said he would do, right? And he's running around. And if it's me, I want to step back. And here's the first thing I ask, just like the disciples, prove it. Prove that it's you. Because it's one thing to rehearse idealistic thoughts. It's one thing to pray on our desire that you would rise from the grave. It's another thing for you to prove it. And what, is, what does Jesus do? He holds out his sacrificial hand. He says, touch it. Put your finger in my wound. Why? Because sacrificial hands will always change the world. Idealistic thoughts will just be ideas that don't ever do anything, that don't ever make progress, that don't ever move the ball forward. Church, I don't know about you, but I do not want Redemption House to be an idealistic thought. 
I want it to be a sacrificial hand. I do not want homes in Cofredia, Mexico to be an idealistic thought. I want it to be a sacrificial hand. I do not want Rahab's rope to simply hear from us lip service. I want them to experience the sacrificial hands of the well. I want our downtown community to be strong. Why? Sacrificial hands. I want us to be able to advance forward right here in Sandy into everything that God has for us. Why? Sacrificial hands. We change the world with sacrificial hands. We change the city with sacrificial hands. We see lives change with sacrificial hands. Can we be that church? Can we step up and be that church next weekend? So I want to invite you, especially those of us that call this place home, please make sure you take this home as a family, as a single, as an individual. You might be like, I'm a teenager. I got my like, like dishwashing money. Cool. Ask God what to do with it. I'm a, I'm a single adult, young adult, college student. We can all do something. And if we all do something, we can get everything done. Take this home, pray over it, believe over it. Ask God what to do, what can I do this year? I know Eric and I, we've got where we're at. We've been challenged. We said yes to the challenge. It's gonna hurt a bit, but we're pumped about it. Why? Sacrificial hands. Can we lift our hands to Jesus in this moment, church? Come on. All around the room, in this place.